Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato. It's the offseason. It has arrived. As you guys know, last week we did some listener mailbag content, and this week we decided we're going to start up a little series that we're going to carry over probably for the next several months leading up to the 2021 draft. And this will be a breakdown, a player profile of a prospect who caught our attention for a variety of reasons. One, that prospect will be in play for the Giants with either their first or second round pick to start. As we work through the process, we will move on to third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round type prospects as well. But we're going to start with potential first and second round prospects for the Giants. We're going to break down their game, how it translates to the next level. If they might be a fit for the Giants or if they might not be a fit for the Giants based on system and scheme. Then we're also going to break down a path for them to come to the Giants, either via the picks the Giants currently have or the picks they may acquire via trades potentially. So we're going to start this draft series with a prospect who caught attention this season. He really rose up the ranks this year, though if you dig a little bit deeper, he had a really strong close to his 2019 that kind of got him on the radar, and then he took advantage of it in 2020 in the shortened season. And that's Quiddy Pie. and this will probably be the first of many names that I mispronounce. I think it's Pay already, just judging by uh, Nick's uh, reaction. Also, I knew it was Pay. This one, I just kind of screwed up at the beginning there. I don't know why, because I was a little intimidated by how I'm going to pronounce a prospect we're about to record in a few moments from now when this podcast is over. And that one, I have no shot of pronouncing, but I'm going to try to. But Quiddy Pay is an edge prospect from the University of Michigan, a school that, quite frankly, I have ill will towards, a school that I hate the fans of. I Really, if you're a Michigan fan, I apologize, but Throughout my life, all the Michigan fans that I've met have that little air of smugness to them. You know, they are the school. They act like, you know, we're the Ivy League of the Big Ten. You're not the Ivy League of the Big Ten, okay? You're not the Ivy League of the Big Ten. And guess what? Your football program ain't what it used to be, baby. Wisconsin rolled up on you this year. But Quiddy Pay, who did not play this year versus Wisconsin, actually had one of his best games of 2019 against the Wisconsin Badgers, ironically. And we're going to talk a little bit about that game. We're going to talk a little bit about the prospect, how he might fit. I want to start with this. Give me your initial thoughts 
on pay as a prospect after watching through some of his film, Nick? First off, I want to start by saying, so I don't really have a college football team that I love. So when I was a kid, I actually ended up kind of liking the University of Michigan because Amani Toomer went there. Now, I wasn't of age to remember Amani Toomer in college, but the fact that I saw a picture of him in the Wolverines uniform made me actually like that program. But yes, outside of Rutgers, I really don't have allegiance to really many college football teams. But Pay, I think he's going to be a really good football player in the NFL. I do. I think we'll go over the things that he's good at, but... I do think he may not be the edge rusher that Giants fans are going to really want. He has a quick first step, and I think he's a really good athlete, but he doesn't have that game athleticism where he can win up the arc with just pure explosiveness and ghost techniques and things like that, which we'll go over here in a little bit. But I do think he's going to be a very good football player. I think he's very smart, and I think he plays with incredible competitive toughness. Yeah, Pei is a prospect at six foot four and 275 pounds who actually finished number one on Bruce Feldman's freak list. And for those of you who aren't aware of it, this has been a list that I've been tracking probably since 2013. I remember when I was at Fox Sports, and he was writing for Fox Sports, and that article dropped on Fox Sports. I remember religiously reading that article because back then I was so intrigued by projecting athleticism with NFL prospects to the next level. It's kind of what I feel, unfortunately, for Mel Kuyper. It's kind of bogged his process down a bit. He really does tend to rely on those combine numbers, those testing numbers, the athleticism. And it makes sense because what you're always hoping for when you're drafting a prospect is that he'll be a much better player at the NFL level than he was at the college level. And so he is supposed to be a freak. I mean, this guy supposedly ran a three-cone drill in the six threes. The three-cone, by the way, probably the best testing drill for edge prospects. People have gone on to do studies on that that have proven that. Six threes, just to give you reference of what that time would be if it actually happened. And again, it's much of a rumor. No one has it clocked, even though I did see today Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus actually posted a video of the supposed six three, mid six threes, three cone. But just to give you a frame of reference, Sutton Smith, a prospect who we talked about previously on last year's podcast, guy I thought could be a nice little day three potential fit for the Giants at just 233 pounds. He clocked a 6753 cone, the best for any defensive end in the history of testing. So if 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 Quiddy Pay is actually clocking a six three mid six three three cone at 275 pounds, it's absurd. But when I watch him, I tend to get the feeling you do, Nick, that the athleticism that's on paper, this supposed 63, 275, three cone, that supposed agility, bend around the edge, you don't really see it. I'm not sure it translates that much when you watch him. I think when I watched him, at least from my perspective, what I saw him, I saw him winning in a variety of ways, but it was mostly via power and initial quickness and burst. I think he did a great job and it shows in the stats of bursting into the backfield, especially on run plays. He finished his career with 16, or I'm sorry, over the last 13 games of his career, he had 16 and a half tackles for loss and eight and a half sacks over just the last 13 games when he kind of started to come into his own. So I think for me, it's kind of a issue with pay, at least my issue would be more of floor versus ceiling. I want to know how you feel he is as a pass rusher specifically, Nick, because I think going into this year for the Giants, if they're going to draft an edge, they want someone who could win those one-on-ones on third down and operate as not only as, you know, the number two, the, the Robin to Leonard Williams, Batman, or even somebody who could be as good enough to operate as the Batman to Leonard Williams as Robin. So where do you see him right now as a pass rusher purely? 
I think his best trait as a pass rusher would have to be his hand technique. He's pretty polished in terms of how he uses his hands, how he developed the pass rushing repertoire at Michigan. It was it was pretty uh, eye-opening. You can kind of see the progression through the 2019 season into 2020 with how he employs several different pass rushing moves and counters and how he has a plan. If his first move doesn't work, he goes to his second move. My main concern with Pay would be the fact, I mentioned it before, I think He's going to be better in tighter alignments, whereas wide nine alignments, it might not be as advantageous for him because he doesn't have that necessary speed up the arc that I think can consistently or at least more than not stress tackles vertical sets because he doesn't have that necessary second and third step that I think elite type of pass rushers coming out of the draft end up having. I do feel like he's going to be, like I said before, a really good football player, but I don't think he's going to be winning a lot with ghost techniques, which is when you want a lineup from a wide nine and you basically fly in with speed dip your inside shoulder and corner right to the quarterback swivel your hips and kind of just angle in on the quarterback he's not that type of edge rusher like a chase young can do that and he can win in so many different ways but pay is rather i can line up as a five technique maybe a little bit off five technique i can attack you i can get to the half man and i can stun you with my inside arm try to pull you down subtly and then use my outside arm to kind of chop your outside arm and then bring that inside arm because i have the hips to kind of swivel my upper body to the half man of the tackle and then get underneath his outside arm and rip through. He has all of those abilities, but it's not necessarily winning because of freakish athletic ability. And it's kind of funny that we are saying that, Dan, because I do feel like he's going to be a freak tester, as you've already kind of alluded to. I think he does have good straight line burst, closing width, and things along those lines, but I don't think he's going to necessarily at least it didn't seem like when he was playing in Don Brown's defense that he really got to that edge purely off of amazing second and third steps it's definitely more of a refined hand technique kind of thing with pay yeah and I think that ultimately brings up a concern when you factor in Patrick Graham's defensive system and scheme and what we've seen on tape and in that sense there are a lot of alignments the Giants have specifically on these third downs where these DNs or edges or whatever you want to call them are lining up in you know a wider stance their 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 ability to burst up the edge like you said and dip their shoulders and win with speed converting to power that's going to be something that the giants really need from an elite pass rusher from a pass rusher they invest you know the 11th overall pick in per se let's say in this situation and i'm not so sure he's actually a really good fit for this system and that's why i wanted to talk about you with neck talk about with you next nick it's a system fit because from what i've read it seems like his best fit would be in an even front and the Giants don't really run that and it doesn't really seem like he's a perfect fit for this system. So I want to talk to you about his fit for this system. But Before we do that, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions and now they want to help you even more. With a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. 
Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Listen, folks. The Super Bowl is coming up. And sure, we'll all be watching the game. But the best way to celebrate the biggest day in football is to bet on the game. We want to let you know about a great resource for sports bettors. The Action Network. The Action Network is where sports fans go to bet smarter and experience real financial gains. In fact, their Action Network app was recently named the best app in sports betting. And with an Action Network Pro subscription, you can unlock the very best of the app. When you sign up for an Action Network Pro subscription, you can access the Pro Report, which includes expert projections for every game across all the professional leagues. You can see money and bet percentages on every game, so you can see the teams professional gamblers are betting on. You can take advantage of pro systems which match winning historical betting trends with the latest games and lines. You can track every bet you make and get alerts in real time. So if you're looking to bet smarter, an Action Network Pro subscription is the best way to get started. And for a limited time, our listeners can receive 50% off an annual pro subscription. Just go to actionnetwork.com now and receive 50% off an annual subscription when you use the code ROTOVIZ. That's R-O-T-O-V-I-Z. This offer won't last, so go to actionnetwork.com to sign up for a pro subscription and use promo code ROTOVIZ, all one word, to receive 50% off and start betting smarter today. All right, Nick, so you touched on it a little bit in your breakdown of him, but do you think he would be a good fit for the Giants in their specific system with Patrick Graham? Like I said several times in this podcast, yeah. I think he's a good football player. So I think he could fit in, but I don't think it's the ideal thing the Giants should necessarily pursue right now. Yes, the Giants need edge help, but I don't know if Pay is the type of edge rusher that they necessarily want. I think wherever he goes, he's going to find success because he's an exceptional run defender. He's incredibly mm-hmm. smart. He plays with a high motor, and he has a rather refined pass rushing plan. But I don't believe that he's going to be an excellent fit for this multiple type of front see we didn't see him a lot at Michigan drop into flat zones something that we saw all the time with Kyler Fackrell I think he can do that we haven't seen that too much because Don Brown likes to line up four down linemen even front you're going to be the five technique or you're going to be split a little bit more than a five technique sometimes on third down they're going to kick him inside to a three technique and he's going to find his way there but I don't think with the 11th pick that pay would be the optimal prospect that you can add to better the entire New York Giants football team. I think if you trade down and you're in the 20s or something like that, he still happens to be around, you can maybe entertain it, but I still think there'd probably be other prospects that you would rather have. But again, still think he's a wonderful football player and he's going to have success in the league. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I mean, I think his best fit will be in a 4-3, traditional 4-3 defense where they can align him on the inside on some snaps, put him on the outside, dependent on down and distance and things of that nature. And I think he's going to be a strong football player from the sense that, like you said, he's already really refined as a pass rusher, though I did hear that a lot when it came to O'Shane Zimenez. I'm not so sure. I'd rather, I'd almost rather the guy with the elite pass rushing tools who can be taught the pass rushing moves than the refined pass rusher already i also some other concerns for me are the fact that he's 22 years old it's not super old for a prospect but it's not super young either it's not exactly what i would like and i think in general he's going to be a great fit for teams because of 
you know, because of the the teams, I'm sorry, the teams that are looking to build via their culture. He's a great culture fit, is what I'm trying to say. This is a guy who was born in a refugee camp in Ghana during their first Liberarian Civil War, and he immigrated to the United States when he was six months old. I mean, he's been working hard his entire life to get to where he is today. He was Gatorade Football Player of the Year, and now it was in Rhode Island where there's not too many great <laughs> football prospects, but he was Gatorade Football Player of the Year. As far as the background goes, he was only a three-star prospect. So I think that if you look at pedigree, and some teams do, I know a lot of NFL teams out there, from what I've heard, put a lot of stock in where they were and what kind of recruit these players were, because they believe that at times, if they take a really strong recruit and a really strong athlete and a really strong prospect, they can make up for poor coaching at the collegiate level that some of these guys get. Not all these guys. Some of these guys are playing for great coaching staff and great coaches, and I think Michigan is certainly one of them. And you could see that in his progression from the end, of, from the beginning of 2019 to that middle end half where he took a step forward and then the big leap he's taken in 2020. But I think overall, he's not really quite as freaky as he, as he tests out to be. And what the Giants are really looking for is someone who can win one-on-one on the edge. And like you said, someone who can line up in those wide techniques and really beat the defensive end. I'm sorry, the offensive tackle around the edge. I don't see that when I watch him. But, you know, who knows what the Giants see. I know they're going to like him from a culture standpoint. I know that without a doubt. Yeah, I just wish he had a little bit more flexible ankles. Like you watch someone like Miles Garrett, and I know these are like top picks, and we're talking about a mid-teen pick. But when they get to that top of the pass rushing arc, and a tackle's bearing down on him. They can bend their ankle, plant it in the ground, and it's on an angle, and you can put so much weight on that and kind of bend through the contact of what the tackle's trying to do to you because obviously the dude's tackles are 300-something pounds and they're trying to push you up the arc. With, with Pay, I feel like once he gets in that situation, the tackle, because he doesn't have that second and third step and he doesn't have that ankle flexibility to really bend, the tackle gets himself into position and can just ride him up the arc. And that's something that I don't feel like a top 11 pick for the New York Giants right now. It's not something I'm I, I'm overly passionate <laughs> to invest in. But at that same time, if the Giants were to go in this direction, I don't think I would throw a fit either because I know he's going to be a good football player. I just don't think it's the optimal way to build a team right now. Yeah, it's a high floor pick, I think. I think that's an excellent way to put it right there. It's a high floor pick, but ultimately when you factor in the fact that it's a high floor pick and it's not exactly a system fit, like, yeah, if this was the old school Giants before Betcher got here, before Graham got here, I can see it. They were a traditional 4-3 team forever. They had lugs in at middle linebacker forever. They were still playing that 1990s football for a while until finally things changed over. And he would be a better fit for that type of system. I really do believe that. But where the Giants are at now, I'm not so sure. What I did like about Pay specifically is that he did have dominant performances. He had a really big game against Indiana this year in 2020 where he racked up six pressures and he was really good in the run game. He stood out there. And then he had a similarly dominant game against Minnesota. Not the best of competition, even though Indiana obviously took a massive step forward as a program. He's not really facing any NFL offensive tackles on either of those teams. But I did like the fact that he was dominant in both games, so I think is important. Uh, when you're kind of trying to evaluate if a prospect can have success at the next level because he needs to be a dominant player, have dominant traits. I think ultimately for me, the fact that he doesn't exactly have any dominant traits would also rule him out at 11 for me. But I'll leave, I'll, we'll, we'll leave it off on this, Nick. Is he worthy to you of a top 11 pick? And if not, would he be someone that you would target via trading if the Giants were to trade down into the late teens? I think the Giants have a lot of holes on their roster, and I know Edge is one of them, but I think there are other edge rushers later in the draft that you can target that 
you can probably use that, say, the 18th pick. I'm just kind of p- pulling one out of my butt right now. But say they had the 18th pick. You can go after, there's offensive tackles, and I know people don't want to draft an offensive tackle because you had Parrott, but you have some high-end offensive tackles that could still be around at that point. You have cornerbacks that can still be around at that point. You have linebackers who can also add value as an edge rusher, which we'll go over here in a little bit, not on this podcast, but those listening will see soon. And I think that I would rather the Giants go in probably another direction, to be honest. Yeah, I think for me, we're in lockstep. I wouldn't take him at 11 for sure, I don't think. And again, keep in mind, as we work through these prospects, we will be diving even more into every single person that we go over now in mid-January throughout the next two months. So our opinions may change. We Absolutely. will watch more film. We're going to study these prospects a lot more. What we're saying now is not written in stone. This is just with our initial evaluations of these players. And as of now, I'm with you. I wouldn't take him at 11. And for me, if the Giants were to trade back, he's actually not someone I would target either in the mid-teens. There's too many corners I like potentially there. There's too many offensive tackles I like there. And there's too many receiver tight end and receiver type players that I like that I think could be available in those late teens that I'd probably lean in that direction, to be completely honest, if the Giants were to make that trade back. And I don't think he'll be on the board anyway, but it's possible because, again, this is a guy that could I could see him having kind of like a Taco Charlton-type fall. I remember before that draft, Taco Charlton at the beginning was like, oh, is this guy maybe a top 10 prospect? Is this guy maybe a top 15 prospect? People were getting really into Taco Charlton before that draft. I saw some Justin Tuck comparisons with Taco Charlton. Yikes. And ultimately, yeah, there were a lot of people. I saw multiple people comparing him to Justin Tuck with the flexibility and kind of the length and bend. But not bend, but the length. Yeah, but Taco... I see a different player here with Pay. I think Pay is no, a better, no. He's not yeah, Taco Charlton yeah. no, at all. No, I, I know, but I know, I know that you're you're making the you're not making the comparison in skill set, but no. just like how the draft community may end up treating him. But just when you watch the film objectively, I feel like, and I'm, I'm sure you agree, Pay is the better football player Without a overall. Doubt. And yeah. we didn't really even touch that much on how he does defend the run because he does a really good job seeing reading his run keys, even though he's on the line of scrimmage. And if he sees power or puller, he'll keep that end just really tight and he'll restrict and he'll really force every single gap to be really really restricted he's very good at slanting inside into the b gap dipping his outside shoulder underneath the tackle and then just getting free that's one of the main reasons why he had a lot of tackles for losses uses his hands they have pop uses them incredibly well so he's going to be a good run defender he's not going to get blown off the line of scrimmage or be overpowered at the point of attacking you know one-on-one type of situations either yeah, without a doubt, and there's no comparison to Taco Charlton as player. I just was bringing up that name as somebody who kind of rose the board and ultimately ended up falling later in the draft because he didn't really have a defining pass rushing trait. I think that's kind of when you're taking an edge, you want him to have a defining pass rushing trait. Can he convert speed to power with the best of them? Does he have incredible bend around the edge like Von had, Von Miller had in that one draft? You know, is he able to win with counters and spin moves? But like when you watch Pay, it doesn't really feel like you're seeing any of that, at least not from a dominant standpoint. You're not a dominant. I would say he does He's win good, yeah. with, with counters and things like that, sure. but it's just it's not combined with the functional athleticism that you'd want in a premier edge rusher. Sure, and that seems to me like more of someone who would want in the late teens or the early 20s rather than maybe at 11 as you know a rich because you need an edge or you need or the Giants feel, fans feel like or people feel like you know you need to get an edge. So I think that's kind of where we stand right now at least on Quiddy Pay. We're going to wrap up every one of these little draft prospect articles by banging out a couple questions you guys send in. As long as you keep sending them, they will not be related or they might be related to the podcast at hand. And we're going to start here with 
A question from Young Missile, longtime fan of the podcast, probably one of the earliest listeners and fans, one of my one of my boys from Twitter. We've had a lot of great conversations about the Giants, and he asks if Jalen Waddle or Pitts is on the or Kyle Pitts is on the board at eleven, who would you rather choose? And what's the best option to find a to find an answer for the cornerback two spot? Young Missile, what, uh, how old are you? Like, I, I'm very curious about why it's a Young Missile. I mean, is this person must be a, a younger individual. I guess so. I never yeah. really put two and two together. Because if they're like our age, and we're not even old, we're in our early 30s, if, if, that's not really Young Missile anymore. Yeah, well, I think Young can be used as a nickname, and like as a pre-nick, like a name before a nickname, and a lot of like Young Jeezy, like, you know, there's like different Youngs. Okay, there's different yeah. Youngs out there? there Steve, youngs out Steve there. Young. All right. Uh, yeah, Steve. Honestly, Young Missile, <laughs> for, for me, I, I've been waiting to get into Pitts and Waddles tape. I've watched a lot of SEC football, and I've seen both of them play a lot, and I I don't necessarily. I can't genuinely say one or the other right now because I haven't dove into their all twenty-two. All I could say is, if either of those guys are the picks from what I've seen so far, I would be happy with either. That's that's kind of what I would go with. And as for the cornerback two, I think that could probably be addressed in the second round if they do not address that at eleven. I don't know if they're going to go. I actually doubt they'll probably go in free agency and try to add another James Bradbury type of contract or maybe something even a little bit less than that. They may bring a veteran in, but not something that's top or premier, one of those 27-year-olds looking to get paid, one of those kind of things. I don't really envision that necessarily. But if it's Waddle or Pitts, man, Daniel Jones is going to be happy with either. Yeah, I'll start there with the Waddle Pitts question. I haven't done a lot of work on Waddle yet, except for what I've seen on the broadcast angle from watching a ton of SEC football almost every game. And I love what I've seen from that standpoint. I think he's freakish. I think he might actually be the better player than Devontae Smith. I think it's well within reason, especially when you consider their age, especially when you consider the pure speed that Waddle has. And some of just the catches that he makes don't look like some... He doesn't remind me at all of some of something like Henry Ruggs in that sense. And I do like Ruggs, but not at that level. Now, as far as Pitts goes, that's a player who I actually did start to dive into this week. I started to watch a lot of Kyle Pitts. And let me just say something... If it trends in this direction, Young Missile, I am going to probably be on that Kyle Pitts to the Giants bandwagon because I believe there's a chance he'll be there at 11 only because he plays the tight end position and has that tight end designation next to his name. I think it's literally the only reason a player who looks this good on film could possibly be there outside the top 10 picks because when you watch him, he has the he's elite in several traits. He's elite at the catch point. He's elite from a hand standpoint. He's not an elite route runner, but he's damn close, and he's elite from a length and mismatch standpoint. But when you factor in his ability to adjust his body and the body control in the air with his elite, it's watching him is, has been one of the biggest joys I've had so far of watching any prospect. I really do feel that way. I'm a big believer in Kyle Pitts. We'll see what happens there, and if he's even on the board, I'm not sure. But I think that tight end designation next to his name could potentially put him on the board. I don't think that should be of any concern to Giants fans. If you, Well, it should be because Jason Garrett's the coordinator, but if you had any coordinator other than Garrett, it should be of no concern because if you can't make Kyle Pitts work at the NFL level, you're doing a really poor job. As far as the second cornerback position goes and how do they address that, I think Nick nailed this one on the head. Don't think they're going to invest much cap space into the position in free agency. It's possible they bring in a veteran because a veteran has a much better chance, in my opinion, of producing right away early in the season than a rookie would having said that I think they saw something they might have liked with Julian Love in that small sample size over the end of the season and I don't think they're panicking at this position really they would love to get a guy who can play man who they can trust in man so they can use more man we'll see if the board falls that way in round one or two but if not 
I think they can go into this season with Love and Yidem and maybe Sam Beal and be a little bit less it's not as much of a, I should say it like this, it's not as much of a dire need as a position that if they upgraded defense could take a really big step. So that's kind of how I see it. All right. Mbram10 asks, what is your take on, and I apologize, Mbram, because I do not, your name is not in your Twitter profile, if you not on either your handle or the other part. So I just couldn't get your name down. We've never, we've never exchanged names. So I apologize for not calling you out by name, but Mbram10 asks, what is your take on Will Hernandez? The Giants didn't play him at the end of the season, but he was a second-round pick. What do they do with him, and does he have a future with the Giants? And Bram 10, we're all asking the same question because we are not in the organization, so it's hard to know exactly what happened once he contracted COVID. Shane Lemieux came in and everything started clicking and why he wasn't able to earn snaps despite the fact that Shane Lemieux had some serious issues in pass protection. What I can say about him now is that he is on the roster for another year. And that's an incredibly cheap contract right now. So for this next season, 2021, it's excellent that you have someone like Will Hernandez who can step in and play if injuries do end up happening. For the future, if this coaching staff doesn't play him next year, Shane Lemieux ends up winning out and he just becomes a swing interior offensive lineman, then he's and he's not going to be a giant. I couldn't imagine him being a giant at that point. The rest of the NFL has draft grades on him. I'm sure a lot of people really do like him and would like a chance to bring him in and compete. And if for whatever reason, Joe Judge and Joe Judge's coaching staff don't see it with him, then he's going to be gone after this season. Yeah, that's an excellent answer. I think Nick and I are in lockstep with this one. We both were kind of uncertain as to why Shane Lemieux played over Will Hernandez at the end of the year. I guess the idea is that he meshed better in the Giants' run blocking scheme. But honestly, I mean, a lot of the tape that Will Hernandez had coming out of UTEP showed that he could be good in a lot of the same run, a lot of the same on the, I'm sorry, on a lot of the same run plays the Giants had success with this season. So that part is odd to me. I don't think he's someone who just forgot how to block and power gap. And he's always been someone who projected better in that system. That's kind of why before the season, both Nick and I thought he was a potential breakout prospect for the Giants. Now, as far as how does his long-term future goes, Nick nailed it. If he's, again, a reserve next season, and who knows, there's still a lot to play out there with the with the fact that Kevin Zeitler it could be a potential salary cap cut. We don't want him to be. We don't think he deserves to be, but he could be. And with the fact, and then maybe Hernandez moves over to right guard or Shane Lemieux moves over to right guard. It's definitely impossible. It's also possible that, you know, a full offseason, no COVID, a new offensive line coach who's set to come in for the Giants could see it a lot differently and could convince Joe Judge that Will Hernandez deserves back in the lineup over Shane Lemieux. They're going to have a lot of time to watch a lot of film at the end of this year. And if you watch the film, you'll see that at least once per game, a minimum of one time per game, me and Nick watched every single snap on all 22, Shane Lemieux blows a pass protection in one of the in a really bad way that could kill drives and oftentimes did kill drives or put the Giants at a massive disadvantage on said drive. And if it's happening at least once per game, that's too much. <laughs> it should be happening maybe once every three games if you're a solid guard. Now, as far as Hernandez goes long-term as well, I will say this. He was the 34th overall pick in the 2018 draft, a draft where the Giants had the second overall pick in every single round, dumped one on a running back, which is still absurd to me, and has put the franchise at a massive disadvantage. I don't care how this is spun. It's the truth. And then went ahead and said, I can't trade this pick. I can't even consider it. We have a player who we have a top 15 grade on in Hernandez. And so they almost traded up for him. They were patient. They didn't. And they strapped him at 34. But you can't miss. You cannot miss if you're going to make that pick. And so 
it's a big year for him and it's a big year for the Giants and this entire regime because if Hernandez ends up being some, you know, back of the back end bench three million dollar reserve guard for the Giants this this season, who plays twelve snaps a game or ultimately like he did at the end of the season, doesn't play any snaps a game, it's a really bad look for a franchise that used a thirty fourth overall pick on him and from a GM who's supposed to be a guru when it comes to the offensive line. So there's a lot to be decided there. I think both Nick and I are hopeful that he can start over Lemieux in 2021. Hey, Dan, what do you think Shane Lemieux's pass blocking grade in Stratomatic is? <laughs> <laughs> he would have to be a zero. A zero, right? He'd have to be a definite zero. For those of you who don't know, we'll take a little break in the questions to go over this one. Stratomatic football, the nerdiest game in the history of life. It's a board game. For nerds, for football nerds like myself and Nick, my dad taught it to me at a young age. He knew I was going to be a football nerd, the one the one that I've become today, that I've grown into. He saw it early in me. He, you know, he said, "Listen, when I was a kid, Dan, I played this game called Stratomatic Football." For those who don't know, it's the it's I think you guys, anyone who listens to this podcast would agree, it's the best single best game in the history of the world ever created. I wish I could be a spokesman for Stratomatic Football. I really do. And so it's a board game. The board is a football field. You have 11 pieces on the field. That's your defense. You get to move them before the snap. The offense calls a play, a variety of pass and run plays. The defense has to guess if it's a run or pass, and they have to set up their defense in zones where they think the play is going to go to. Then you roll dice, and the play is determined based on how well the defense picked the offense's play or how well the offense fooled the defense. And the luck of the dice. And And I bought the game, played it a couple times with Nick, and you know what? Right now, it's a great game. We've had some barn burner games two of the three games went to overtime one game in overtime featured three fumbles and an interception including one of those fumbles nick had a game-winning interception in his hands when he rolled for the return so once you have an interception in the game you have to roll to see if it passes intercepted you have to re-roll and you have to re-roll for an interception return if you roll an 11 it's a return of 22 yards and a fumble and so Nick fumbled the return, I recovered it, and the game ended in a tie. But for those of you who don't know, look it up online, Stratomatic Football. I cannot suggest it any more than I already have. All right, we got time for one more question on this podcast. It's from Kelby Sutterfeld, or Sutterfield, sorry, Kelby. And he asked, last pod you mentioned Daniel Jones needed to speed up his processing. Could that also be impacted by the Giants wide receivers getting some of the lowest separation in the NFL this season? Guys aren't getting open, so Dan Jones has to hold the ball longer, limiting how quickly he can make his reads. You guys rock. Thank you so much, Kelby Stutterfield. Stutterfield. Okay, I can't read, apparently. I think absolutely, to be honest, Kelby. Uh, When your first read cannot create any separation, whether that be in-man coverage, more than likely in-man coverage, especially in tight press man coverage, if they can't win at the line of scrimmage, it's going to be very difficult to force the football, and it's going to cause hesitation for the quarterback, Daniel Jones. So I think that's an excellent point. But I think Dan and I, and I think we both agree that Daniel Jones got a lot better with this in 2020. But we also want to see him be a little bit quicker in zone. That was our big issue going from 2019 to 2020. I felt like he kept or he made a big stride in that area. But you still saw some inconsistencies with it throughout the season, which is a custom for a young second-year quarterback, first year in his system. So, But I would definitely attribute, especially when he's facing man coverage, the lack of separation as definitely something that would kind of give Daniel Jones pause. Yeah, I think Nick nailed it on the head. The one area where I think... I think that should be in lockstep. Anyone who disagrees with that, I would say, is probably a little bit off in their analysis because if the receivers aren't getting separation, 
it's a lot harder for the quarterback to go through his progressions and to process post-snap. Now, where we might disagree, and not me and Nick, just anyone and myself who makes this point, is the culprit for the lack of separation. In my mind, the reason that the separation, why the Giants had some of the lowest separations in the league, has a lot more to do with the play caller and with the offensive design and the play design than the actual receivers playing the game. I think it's 80-20, maybe even 85-15. I think others would say it's 85-15 in the other direction, as in the Giants receivers and lack of quote-unquote talent at the receiver position versus the coaching. So I think that's kind of where the disconnect is. Is it more of a coaching issue in route route designs, route combinations, and overall offensive designs and formations on each every given play? Or is it more these receivers who just simply can't get open? And I think as we'll see in 2021 with Sterling Shepard hopefully moving full-time into the slot where I think he's going to create immediate and consistent separation, and the Giants adding a big-time weapon on the boundary to play alongside Darius Slayton on the other side, you're going to see a lot more separation, hopefully, if Jason Garrett can improve what he put on tape in 2020. Yeah, I think that's well said. I, I also think it's just a collective. I wouldn't assign percentages to it, to be honest. Definitely, Jason Garrett should bear some blame, and the receiver's as well, we we saw them struggle to beat press several times throughout the season. Uh, the worst one was definitely against Arizona. That was just putrid. And Golden Tate, I think, would also be considered the worst offender of that. Yeah, well, Golden Tate. I mean, he, Daniel Jones would throw the football. Golden Tate would be going into his break, and Daniel Jones threw the football somewhere else. And then you would see Golden Tate throw his hands in the air, like pissed off that he didn't get the football. It's like the reason coverage isn't there is because they're all flowing to the ball and zone. Right. <laughs> like that's why you're open right now. It's because he just doesn't have the zip anymore. And just on ma- in man specifically, I noticed multiple times toward the end of the season where Golden Tate created absolutely no separation against man. So that will be a player who they'll definitely move on from, I think, and they'll add an upgrade. All right, that's all we have for today's show. We're gonna wrap up our draft pro- profile plus a cu- couple extra questions there. Um, I wanted to take this time to thank everyone who's listened to the podcast and who's taken the time to do us the one favor we'll ask every podcast. We're going to keep asking it, so hopefully there's one person who's new to the show or who hasn't done it already, who's been lazy. We thank all of you who, lazy's not the right word, or just hasn't had the time to do it. We thank all of you who have taken the time to give us a rating and review on iTunes. We're currently up there as one of the top Giants podcasts on all of iTunes, which is what I strive to be. I strive to be number one originally, but more importantly, I wanted to be in the mix with some of the established podcasts when I created this. And that's because of you guys. Over the last several months or last several weeks specifically, you've been flowing in the ratings. We're up to 458 ratings. Our goals, our new goal is to get to 500 ratings um, and reviews. So if you can take the time to head over to iTunes and give us a rating and review there, we will greatly appreciate it. And there are a couple, there's one question recently added to there. Like we said, we will ask the question, we will answer any question that is written in the reviews on iTunes. We're going to save that for the next podcast, which will be dropping in a day or two from now. So thank you to everyone who's taken the time to give us a rating and review. Stay tuned, locked and loaded for more draft profiles, news on the Giants when it comes in, and then finally, a lot around free agency as we move toward there. We still have a little bit of time. We're still in the conference championship weekend, but keep it locked and loaded on the Big Blue Banter podcast. We've got a lot of content coming your way soon.